Amen. David was a man who knew what it was like to have pressure. Um, he understood how easy it was for him to lose focus on the Lord. You may not be the leader of a kingdom this morning. You may not, you know, be a leader in some civic or big-time way, but you all know the pressures of this life. You know what it's like to lose focus on the Lord, don't we? We know what it's like to be so consumed with our own things that we forget all about God. And this morning, this word is to help us, given to help us, remember who God is. And so we're going to just jump into the three sections uh, that it talks about our glorious God. So section number one, verses one through six, this is just a, li a little section here together. It's talking about our all-knowing God. David cries out here and he says, verse one, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now notice in your Bible when you see uh, the Lord in kind of all caps, but they're a little bit lowercase, whenever you see that, that is, a, that is signifying that that is the name Yahweh, the Holy One, the Lord himself. Here's what David is saying. He's communicating right out of the gate to the people that are reading and singing this. He's saying, listen, listen, this is not some Asherah pole. This is not some mute statue somewhere. This isn't some animistic understanding of earth, wind, and fire because animism in that day was, was real. They believed in the God of the wind and the God of the earth and the God of fire and the God of almost anything. And he said, this is not one of those so-called gods. This is Yahweh himself. Yahweh knows me. Yahweh has searched me out and he, he knows me intimately and extensively. This God who we declare, he is not just some personal out there God. He is he is one who is intimately acquainted with all of my ways and he knows us extensively. Notice he doesn't just say, oh God, you know all things, but he says, oh God, you know me. You know me. And as this psalm is true, what's true of God back then is true of God today, this is true of us as well. Oh God, you know me. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. David is saying, listen, this God who created heaven and earth and everything that you could ever see or conceive, that God, he knows me intimately. And he's intending that we're struck by this afresh. We're struck in a deep and abiding way because God himself knows us. There's something about, you know, when people know us, there's something about it that, you know, we can feel good about. So I was at this conference a number of years ago, and the speaker um, was getting up to speak, and, and the speaker is fairly well known in the evangelical Christian world, and this speaker happens to be a friend of mine that I've had, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a number of times. He doesn't live in our state. He's, he's elsewhere, but he's, he's fairly well known, and he got up, and in the course of his sermon, and he mentioned my name. <laughs> like, whoop, big whoop. But he mentioned my name, and I want to tell you, when he mentioned my name in front of, you know, a couple thousand people, what happened to me? Well, there was 
silly pride in my heart, like, yeah, I know that guy. But here's the thing. I felt really good that that guy said that he knew me. It meant something to me that I was known by him. Now let me ask you, is there, think of maybe somebody that you would love to know or you would love to have them know you. Maybe somebody famous that you admire. Maybe someone in history past. You know, think of a name, a personality, right now if you will. Like somebody that like, boy, I would love it if they knew me. And then take that name that's come into mind of maybe a sports star or, you know, evangelical leader or whoever it might be. Take that name and juxtapose that with God's name. Now you tell me, who's the greater that they know us? Like if you knew Michael Jordan, I think you'd be happy to tell people like, yeah, Michael Jordan, he he knows me. And I'm his friend. David, do you see what he's doing? He's saying, Yahweh, oh Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. There's no part of me that you don't know. And he's actually taking great delight in the fact that God knows everything about him. Now, uh, we have to confess, this is a little bit frightening, isn't it? If, if God, in fact, knows everything about us, that... Uh, there are things that we don't exactly like that he knows about us. In fact, if, if just think about the last week. If God put on this screen everything that you thought and everything that you said and everything that, that crossed your mind this week, is there anyone in this room who's like, I'd be happy for that all to be on display? <laughs> I doubt there's one of us. God knows everything about us. And, you know, you think, well, how in the world could David say this? Because, I mean, it's it's believed that Psalm 139 was written, in fact, after Psalm 51 that we looked at last week, after David's sin with Bathsheba, after David's murder of Uriah. This is written after that fact. And David is still saying, you know everything about me, and it's good. He knew when David was rising up and when he was going to bed. He, he knew all of David's movements in the same way that he knows those about you. He knows when I went to bed last night and when I rose up this morning. He, he knows what you did yesterday in every moment. He knows everything about us. In fact, in verse 5 he says, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now, now to be hemmed in in England, I mean, we, just, we are a people who love our independence. That doesn't sound overly great to us to be hemmed in, right? I mean, it sounds, it sounds a bit constrictive. It sounds like an overprotective parent. It sounds like something that we want to get away from. And that's the way our culture and our world, you know, we kind of hear it. But, but the connotation is there's this sense of protection. There, there's protection because God, God hems us in behind. And, and all that, that's in our rearview mirror, God has forgiven by his amazing grace. For every believer in Jesus Christ, he's hemmed us in behind. He's, he's covered that by his grace. And for all that lies ahead, you know what? He's covered that too. 
all the, the good things and all the sins that we might do, all those things, he's, he's hemmed us in. So this isn't harmful constriction. This is benevolent care. And in all of David's life and all the things that he was about, even his sins, how does he respond to this hemming in of the Lord? Look with me at verse 6. In fact, keep your Bible open because we're just going to keep going back to the word. Um, He says this, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The knowledge of God's sovereign care over David's life, his sovereign knowing of David, wasn't like this fearful thing which can happen to us we can fear God knowing everything about us no it wasn't a fearful thing it was too wonderful for him God knowing everything about David meant something to David And I submit to you and I suggest to you this morning by way of just a a simple application do you realize that there's no prayer you will ever pray to the Lord, that he doesn't know exactly what you're talking about. There is no night that you will be sleepless in where the thing that's keeping you up, God is clueless about that. That will never happen because he knows everything about you. He knows all your movements. He knows your thoughts. It says before a word is even on my lips, Lord, you know it. Do you see God knowing us can lead to great comfort. It helps me so much. When things about the future I don't know, and when my heart gets anxious, God knows. God not only knows, but he's he's acting in care. He's hemming me in behind and before. God knowing is a great source of comfort. David says, such knowledge, you know, this is too wonderful for me. Who else knows me? Who else cares like the Lord cares? He also knew that God had spared David's life from going off the spiritual rails. When God sent Nathan to come and confront David and his sin, as again we looked at last week, when God did that, God was hemming him in. Do you see? He was showing sovereign care for David, like, David, I'm not just going to let you squander and, and be left in this miserable state of your sin. I'm going to come and I'm going to help you be convicted and I'm going to lead you on the path of righteousness because I love you and because I care for you. And David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. So let me ask you, how do these realities land on you this morning? How does it, how does it land on you that God knows your every movement that God knows your every thought, your every word, your every deed. How does that land on you this morning? Well, again, at times we can be squeamish about that and say, I'm not sure I like that a whole lot because there are things that I've said and there are things that I've done and there are definitely things that I've thought that I don't like that God knows that. The good news this morning is God is a God of mercy and he is a God of grace, and he is a God of forgiveness. So if there's anything that you've ever done or said or thought 
that is against the Lord or against his word, or against his plan for your life. Do you know what? He is a merciful king. And as you turn to him this morning, he forgives. Everyone to whom the Lord brings grace and forgiveness, he he just loves to give out that mercy. So lest we cower in fear thinking, oh Lord, every last thought you know them. Yes, he does know them. But he is a gracious God. And we've seen that through the cross. I appreciated that, that final song of the set. You know, we were talking about God's healing and what a great testimony. Thank you so much um, for coming up and, and sharing the testimony of how God healed you. Oh, praise the Lord. God is gracious, He is merciful. He loves us. And this is what David is saying. Like, there's nothing that you don't know. There's no phone call from a doctor we'll get that God isn't hemming us in beforehand. There's no policeman that will come to your door that God isn't hemming you in beforehand. There's no circumstance in which you will find yourself where God isn't hemming you in beforehand. Church, this makes all the difference, all the difference in our lives. We can face tomorrow with joy because God knows us and he hems us in behind and before and it promises his grace upon us. And I pray that God would help us to know this, our all-knowing God. Second section. This talks about, David just goes on in such a beautiful style about our all-present God. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Is there anywhere in the world I can go where you are not there? Can I run kind of like Jonah away from your presence? Notice that Jonah in his great run from God, even in the uttermost parts of the sea, in the belly of the whale, could Jonah get away from God even though he was desperately trying to? He could not. There's no place we can go. If, if we go to heaven, well, he's there. If we go to Sheol or to the grave, well, he's there. If I fly like a bird to the mountain, well, he's there. And if I go into the depths of the sea, he's there too. Look at verse 10. This is so beautiful. Such a great promise for us. Even there, he's talking about the depths of the sea. Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So it doesn't matter if you go up or down, east or west, God is there. What that means is that you're not going to encounter a day where God is not present in that moment. And so David anticipates the next question. Well, what about, can I get away from God by turning out the lights? What if I try to do what I want to do against God and, and do it in the dark? He's got you covered. He's got you covered. Look what verse 11 says. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, let me, let me ask you and say, uh, God would not be God if his ability to see were hindered by anything. So if God could only see what's going on in our lives like 12 hours out of the 24 of the day, he would cease to be God. But night, day, it doesn't matter to him. The darkness is as light to him. It, it holds no bearing on his ability to see and to perceive. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'll, I'll just turn the lights out and, and God won't really see. David says, no, even the darkness is as light to you. And in the midst of that, he says, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Dear friends, I know that, that for some of you, you've walked a path and a road at times that have been filled with difficulties. And you might have felt like a given day was like the uttermost parts of the sea, like the deepest of the deep. The promise here, dear friends, the promise is that even there his hand shall hold you. Even there he's going to hold you. We, we love to sing this song and we're going to sing it today. But let me read it again. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. Maybe it came from verse 10 when the, the writers of this song were writing it. I don't know. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. Do you know the, the, the moments in my life of what seems to be the deepest temptations seem to be the moments when I wake up in the middle of the night. And rational reasoning seems to be gone and all kinds of things enter my mind. And there are times when I feel like my faith might fail. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but it happens to me. And the tempter seems to love that time to attack faith. And these words are so comforting and helpful. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. I think this kind of song is what David has in mind when he's writing this song. Because he's saying, you know, you can fly to the mountain, you can go to the depths of the sea, you can have the greatest day of your life, you can have the worst day of your life. Even there, your right hand shall hold me. Because even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. God sees and he knows God knows us completely. He is everywhere all the time. He is ever-present with us. There's no place that we'll ever encounter where he is not. 
David is just, he's just welling up in this prayerful praise to the Lord. He considers the all-creating capabilities of God, and he, he comes to this next section, which, which kind of like shifts course, but he's talking about the all-creating God here in this next section, verses 13 through 18. He says, starts off by saying, for you formed... Like, you're not just all-knowing, you're not just everywhere, but you're actually all-creating. You're at work all the time. He says, you, God, Yahweh, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now, do you know all that happens inside the womb and the baby's development happens prior to like six weeks? That's not all the totality of the baby's development. What I'm saying is, by six weeks, hair color, eye color, personality, traits, gender, all done. God's creative hand weaving a person together. This is the language of David, inspired by the Lord himself. There there's this creative activity in the womb that he's drawing our minds to. God making each and every person in his own image after his likeness. God makes each person as he does for his reasons and for his glory. Now, let's be real. Some of us this morning, in fact, probably most of us have found things about ourselves like, God, I, I would have been okay if you would have made me a few inches taller. I would have been okay if you would have done this or that. We can all find things that we may not like, but the scriptures do affirm to us that God is the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. My frame, David says in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. See, every person here this morning, I just want to speak to you. You have been made, handmade, custom made. You're a one-off by the living God, made in his image for his glory and for your good. He not only did God make us in his image, but he's also in charge of all of our days. He's, he's written our story in advance. God knows what he's doing. Look at verse 15 and 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, which is another way of saying an embryo. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And all of this leads David to the praise of God, his masterful, creative, life-giving work coming into fruition. See, he says this, verse 40, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God's wonderful personal creative activity makes every last person in his image. Yet the sacredness of each human life is, as we know, is under attack in our culture. Um, we want to take the precious gift of God and the God-given life that he's given to us and make it about personal choice. How God's heart must break, dear friends, when he sees that to attack the womb. I want to speak carefully here. To attack the womb is to attack the creative work of God's hands. 
to act like it is right whether to end the baby's life or to let them live is to seek to push God off the throne and exalt ourselves on that throne. How God's heart is grieved. To take what God has graciously handcrafted and given and destroy it because of inconvenience is an attack on the sovereignty of God. That's why our support of the work of life is so important. I'm not, I'm not going political here. I'm simply saying, using our voice, we live in a country where we have the opportunity to vote, using our voice and our vote to leverage influence for the good of preserving what God has given, that's right for us to do. That honors God. That's why our support for pregnancy centers that uphold the value of human life like North Care Women's Clinic where Autumn labors in Lansdale. Uh, their work is so important. You know, Autumn will be sharing with us about the Walk for Life in coming weeks. There are other ways that we can support uh, this life-sustaining work. To attack that is to attack God. And dear friends, the unbelieving world doesn't see it that way. And so what do we do? We use our voice, yes, to speak for the unborn. And we use our voice to speak of Jesus Christ. The one who created all people. The one who in our rebellion came so that by his death we might have life. And have our whole worldview turned upside down. You know, for those who have, I just want to speak this as well. For those who have maybe even participated in some way in an abortion, either by encouraging someone to have one or maybe you've experienced one yourself, I want to say this. God is gracious and forgiving. God is merciful. There is no sin that you can participate in, in your life, whereby God would say, up, oh, no longer am I talking to you. There is no sin that can happen to you, whereby God would say, you're out. There is not. Everyone who turns to the Lord will be forgiven, and everyone who turns to the Lord in faith will be saved. Even an attack like this on God's sovereign creative care. So there is grace in the Lord this morning, but there is beauty in his handcrafting of each one of us. David concludes this section with his praise to God. He says this, how precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. So, so he just revels in the thoughts of, his mind seems to be consumed with thoughts about God. And he's, he's acting in worship because he thinks about his all-knowing God and his ever-present God and his all-creative God. And he just, he just wells up and prays. 
Now, there's this, there's this little section here that is a little bit confusing, and we're not going to skip it because it's part of God's word here. So let me just read it and address it briefly, and then we'll conclude. Look at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who stir up? rise up against you. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And you say, rightly so, uh, I'm not so sure about that. Like, didn't Jesus call us to love our enemies? Didn't Jesus call us to pray for them? Yes, that is true. So how do we, how do we deal with this? Well, because there was one who came to bring in, to usher in a new covenant, a new a new age, a new time. And Jesus, the author and bringer of the new covenant, taught in that beatitude. He taught us to love those who hate us and to turn the other cheek and to go after and love, to seek and to save the lost as he came and then commissioned us to go out. So there is a new commission that we have in the new covenant. Even Jesus Christ on the cross, as his own enemies were crucifying him, remember what he prayed. He said, Father, what? Pour out your hatred and wrath on them? No. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Let me bring us to conclusion now, which where the author of this psalm, David himself, leads us. And uh, let's read verse 23 and 24. He concludes after thinking about all of these glorious things about God, all these glorious thoughts about his all-knowing and his ever-present and his all-creating power and ability, personal, loving God. He says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He, he sees that God knows all anyway, and he says, Lord, I know that you see, but maybe I don't see. I know that you perceive, but maybe I don't perceive. And so I, I think it's wonderful that he concludes this psalm of great praise by ending with some self-introspection. And he admits, Lord, I, I don't see clearly. You do. And so I'm going to appeal to you for your help. And that's, that's how we're going to conclude as well. We're going to ask the Lord to help us and to search our hearts, and to say, Lord, please, if there's any way in me, Lord, enable me to, to see it clearly so that I can run from it and, and attach your grace to it and forsake it and then lead me in the way of understanding. So, so let me speak to the Christian. Christian, this morning, if you're here, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, again, all of your sins, past, present, and future, they are accounted for and justified by the mercy of Jesus Christ. This is such great news. And yet, there are times when we can allow what I might call pet sins to endure in us. And I think this prayer is absolutely right for us. Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Christian, if you're here this morning, I pray that you would pray that prayer, that I would pray that prayer, that we would, we would take it seriously and say, Lord, I don't want to walk 
in some way that isn't your way. And so search me, Lord. So I want to ask you, Christian, if you're here this morning, Christian, will you pray that at the end here in your heart? Lord, yes, search me. Give me the grace to say no to sin and yes to you. Is that in your heart this morning, Christian? I, I pray it is and I hope so. We're going to take time to sing a song that will help us toward that end. Um, if you're here this morning and you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, I, I want to also warn you because... Uh, God will not be mocked. Every sin that we commit must be accounted for, and God is merciful, yes, but we must receive the grace from God in order to receive that payment for the penalty of sin. Just like you have to receive a gift at Christmas in order to be, have any effect on you. If it just sits there, it doesn't help you at all. Unbeliever, God will not be mocked. He will judge sin, every last one. And this God, who is our judge, he offers to you eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so uh, we pray, we're, the, the whole church prays, Lord, help everyone to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that your sins may be forgiven. So I want to ask now the worship team if you would join me on the stage. Uh, we're going to sing two songs now at the close. The first song is one that talks about... Um, the fact that God knows everything about us. It's, it, to my estimation, it was written uh, in the spirit of Psalm 139. It's called Judge of the Secrets. And what I want to ask you to pray is this. As we sing this song, I want to ask you if you would say, Lord, if there be any way in me, you're the judge of the secrets of my heart. You know and, and if the Lord helps you to find some area of sin that's unconfessed in your heart, I just, just run to him. <laughs> just say, Lord, thank you for bringing that to mind. Thank you. Now I'm going to apply the gospel that, that gives grace for that sin, that has forgiven that sin, and turn to Christ. And again, if you're an unbeliever, this is an opportunity for you to say as well, Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner and that you are right to hold me to account. You created me, therefore I am accountable to you, and now I come and I, I, the one who knows my everything, I give all my sins to you, and I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would cleanse me, and give me life, and you know what the promise is that when you do that, he does it too. When you ask him to forgive, he loves to forgive. You don't have to beg him. That's why he sent Jesus Christ into this world. After we sing that song and we have time to think about and contemplate, then we're going to close with that song, He Will Hold Me Fast, because that's the hope, right? That's the hope. We can have a challenging day, a challenging week, a challenging year. We can feel like we're in the uttermost depths of the sea, but by faith in Christ, he holds us fast. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we'll sing in response. Lord, thank you for Psalm 139. What a gift to my heart this psalm has been this week. In the moments when we feel like we're soaring on top of the mountains, when everything's going great, Lord, you're there with us. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I love those days. 
But Lord, when we're also in the uttermost parts of the sea and the world just seems to be closing in on us and hope seems to evaporate at times, Lord, you're with us there too. And now at the conclusion of our time, we just ask, like the psalmist did at the end of 139, Lord, search our hearts. If there's any grievous way in us, Lord, help us to forgive, help us to confess that you might forgive and restore and rejuvenate. And then help us to receive afresh the truths of the gospel that we might take joy in you. This is what we pray. We ask in Jesus' name.